Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. My name is Jed Mishu. I am a writer for MMAfighting.com, the best website in the whole world. And we are back for another episode of Damn, They Were Good. Now, as you may be able to tell from the title of this episode, we're doing things a little different today. Instead of talking about our favorite fighters, remembering these wonderful careers, we're going to talk about one of the weirdest, the most contentious, bizarre things that's ever happened in the sport. The cancellation of UFC 151, because today, Thursday, September 1st, marks a 10-year anniversary of the pay-per-view that never was. So if you have no idea what I'm talking about, don't worry. We're going to give you a full rundown, a deep dive into everything that happened or or didn't happen, as it were. Uh, But first, let me introduce to you the people who are going to help me on this journey of, of what exactly was going on in August of 2012. First man working in MMA media at the time. He's going to give us a great historical perspective. Uh, The best damn writer in the whole game, working for MMAfighting.com, great website, Mr. Sean Alshadi. Heen, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well. In a weird way, I almost feel like I'm bookending something because the last time I was on this program, I was like a day away, like 24 hours away from having a baby. And now I'm like two weeks in and I haven't slept since and I'm just like all sleep deprived and uh, it's it's a wonderful life. So I'm glad to be back. <laughs> well, we're glad to have you back. Congratulations on, on you know, being a new father. Uh, and I, I wanted to have you here, as I said, for that specific reason. But our the third the third leg of this tripod, arguably the most important man to have on this podcast, because if there's one person who knows about killing the sport of MMA... Oh. It is Mr. Alexander K. Lee, also <laughs> MMAfighting.com, great website. AK, thanks for joining us. I would never do anything to harm the good name of the sport of MMA. I have said, I have made it pretty clear, like over the past year, taking a pretty strong stance against the mixing of the martial arts. This is true. But overall, I, I'm a lover of combat sports. And uh, listen, I have, I have been accused by the UFC, you might say, uh, by Dana White himself, you might say of making comments hurtful to their brand and i suppose some people would say thus hurtful to all of uh, all of mma but that is not true i love it and i will prove that with our with our discussion well hopefully go, go take some steps towards proving that with our uh, discussion today of, of truly one of the most bizarre incidents in the uh in the history of the ufc i don't know man uh 
this it was kismet been planning to do this obviously for a few weeks and then for whatever reason the ufc decided to re-upload the video where it calls <laughs> you a sport murderer and i was like this is great for me because they, they, you they didn't call the me sport, anything okay they didn't call me anything the picture they used and the way they filtered it said a million words of america's most wanted frank <laughs> uh fantastic also for the listeners at home uh Happened to be lucky enough to have another sport killer uh, joining with some audio. I was fortunate enough to interview Greg Jackson, who is a central player in this, as we'll get to. Uh, and I will be adding that to the end of, of the show to hear Greg's thoughts on the 10-year anniversary of him murdering MMA. Uh, but for those who don't know, because some people, you know, this is 10 years ago, guys. That's why I wanted to do it on this on this event instead of a fighter this week, because... Let's let's all be honest. Conor McGregor brought a lot of fans to the sport. Conor McGregor was not in the UFC at the time that this whole shenanigans happened. So there are a lot of people who maybe don't know that UFC 151 is the first event the company ever canceled. Uh, and so that's that's what I want to talk. I want to bring that back. Let everybody remember it. And because it's a little different, just to let the listeners know. Uh, we don't have nearly as many categories. If you listen to this all the time, you, you know what I'm talking about. But it's mostly going to be a free-flowing conversation uh, with with a few points and a game that I'm so excited about. I can't wait to get to the games later. But for now, let's let's kind of just dive into it. And Hane, because you were you know working in, in MMA media at the time, I was a fan, so I was intimately involved in, in paying attention to the drama. But Tell me what you remember at the time of UFC 151 being canceled, kind of how all of that shook out in in the lead up to it. Sure. I, I am actually really, I'm happy you're doing this podcast about this particular event and moment in MMA history, because I think you're right in that a lot of people, I would say like 90% of fans, I, I would estimate probably either have only a vague sense of, of this whole situation or have no idea at all that this even was a thing. Which is so insane because Which it is, was such a big deal and then it just doesn't matter at all anymore. That is exactly it. When, when this happened, I was with MMA Fighting. I, it was or still early in my time at MMA it's Fighting. It's a great website. Uh, I was doing the morning report and, I, I, and a couple other things. And I just remember this whole day so vividly because it felt like simultaneously the biggest thing that we had ever seen in the world it felt just huge in the moment it all it felt uh confusing in a moment because of the way that it was framed and just sort of the way that the mma community received it fighters media fans every everybody sort of met it differently and i just remember the day itself being such a long day because the this started you know, early in the afternoon and it didn't end. The news, the updates did not end until way, way late in the night. I remember it maybe like 1 a.m. Eastern time, the the main event changing all over again when the Leoto Machida stuff happened. And I'm sure we're going to go through all this. So it's just, it, it's such a fascinating moment in time to look back on because in one way it is such a, it is so, if, if you could pinpoint one thing that would be the most illustrative example of why there will never, ever be a union in MMA, like oh. a, like a fighters union in MMA, this would probably be the number one reason. If you just look at this day and how this day played out, and how the fighter community reacted to it, and how no one had anybody's back, and everyone just put John Jones out there on a platter and shoved like forty different knives in him from all angles, like John Jones 
was destroyed by the fighter community of this day, the coaching community, just everybody in MMA. And if you look back on it in retrospect, having maybe more of the the perspective, I think uh, the understanding, the the appreciation that I think a lot of us do now of the inner workings of the business, how one-sided a lot of this is, it looks very strange in retrospect to see the reaction from us, from fighters, from coaches, from everybody. And it's just, again, it is so illustrative of why this will never happen in terms of all these guys joining together. Uh, but it also is just funny to me how this would barely be a blip on the radar if this happened today. Like if, if, if the UFC canceled some event in the way that they did today, it would be very small news. I, I'm sure we would talk about it for a day and we would move on. And the, the amount of, I should, I, should, I should say the packaging with which we would get this information would not be nearly to the degree that this this whole situation was where we had this oh, conference sure. call, this incredible press release, this whole like it was a whole to do. People were going on Sports Center, Fox Sports, whatever. Like it was just a week straight of barraging uh, the industry about this idea of this lost event. Whereas that feels so quaint now where with wherever we we're at. So, so quaint now and we are going to for sure get into the press release, which is one of the most incredible pieces of MMA historical context of all time. Like the single most, that. the single most insane press release I've ever seen in my entire life. And going it's, back and reading it now is just it magical. Is un unbelievable whole game I, I, built around it because it's great. I, I don't remember it. I was told not to look back on it before this yep. show. And I, I did not. So I'll be going in like, I guess I, I probably, once we start going over it again, things will start coming back to me. But I was told to go in cold. I'm very much looking forward to uh, revisiting this this release with you guys. It's going to be my favorite part of this episode by a long shot. Um, because it honestly, I, in my head, it sounded like a fun idea. And then when I got into it, I was like, there's so much more meat here than I even conceptualized. There's so much to this. So, but AK, I do want to come to you because... Yeah. I know I was a fan at this point. I'd been a fan uh, for a pretty good stretch. Like I was deep in the forum game, doing all that stuff. Uh, and I remember this all happening and thinking it was very weird, uh, the reaction. Uh, but where, where were you at in, in your MMA journey at this point in time? I recall being a pretty big John Jones fan still at the time. This was before a lot of the... A lot of the things happened that, uh, you know, permanently tarnished his reputation that made him the heel, uh, if you want to use, you know, boil it down to that, the heel that he is today. So this was kind of uh, one of the first moments of really understanding how the sausage was made with the UFC because I, 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 was, I was in it enough. I certainly was not a casual. I was in it enough to see through a lot of the criticism and a lot of the heat that John Jones and his team were taking and the blame that 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 they were taking for oh well them not fighting is what got that's got this card ruined and i remember i know we'll talk about sort of the rest of the card later and sort of the the depth of the card and the makeup of the card but i remember looking at the lineup and being like john jones not fighting this card is not the main reason why this card isn't happening like this 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 is not a strong this is not a strong set of fights that the ufc has given us here so uh, i was remember i was staunchly on jones's side and and greg jackson and all them and and this was this was like almost this was a, a very pivotal moment in my fandom because I I, I had realized like okay I, I am very much on the fighters' sides here, and I'm really starting to see how Dana White and the UFC um, 
can frame even at John's, you know, I don't know. I don't remember if John was the, one of the, he was already on his way. He was one of the biggest stars. Uh, I don't know if he was number one at the time, but was one of the biggest stars. Even he uh, was not bigger than the company and was not immune to being thrown under the bus because yeah, I mean, this was an all time public shellacking from Dana White in the UFC. And uh, again, they, they really glossed over kind of what a poor job they'd done uh, putting UFC 151 together. But again, we'll, we'll get uh, to more of that in a second. I think one thing, one thing too, to sort of add to what you just said, that it's important to contextualize where John was in his career, because at this point, John is such a different person than the person we know him now, right? He hasn't gotten into any legal trouble. He has basically been a saint in the media. He is putting on this uh, veneer, this whatever, is, whatever you want to call it. Before the DC interview, where it all comes crashing Way down. Way before. This is all, before all of that, and he was just coming off of a year in 2011 that might still be one of, I mean, not might, it is one of the greatest years in MMA history for any single fighter where he captured the title uh, and beat just three legends back to back to back, like handily. Like it was just not a competition. And at this point, I mean, he beats Rashad at this point too. His run, he is basically the next superstar in this company. He is basically being poised as this is the the next number one pound for pound guy in the world. This is going to be a guy we we hinge the whole company on moving forward. And then all of this happens, and they throw it all away, willy nilly, like just haphazardly. Just hey, all this work we did building this guy, screw it. Yeah. So since we've been talking for, I don't know, about 10, 15-ish minutes already, let me clarify exactly what it was that did happen. For any of those people listening who genuinely have no idea what we're talking about, UFC 151 was obviously a pay-per-view event. You should have gleaned by now that John Jones was was fighting. He was set to take Dan Henderson on the main event. Uh, this was going to happen September 1st, 2012, obviously the 10-year anniversary now up. It's going to happen in the Mandalay Bay in Las Vegas. And then all hell broke loose. About eight days before the event, Dan Henderson came to the UFC, said, hey, guys, I ruptured my MCL. I can't compete. Now, apparently, Hendo actually hurt himself three weeks prior but did not tell the UFC about that injury. But we'll get into that later. Regardless, the short version here is Hendo said he couldn't fight. The UFC goes into scramble mode to save this pay-per-view event. They ultimately land, they, they talk, a number of names are thrown out. Leo Machida, we'll talk about all that later. Ultimately, Chael Sonnen is the guy who gets the call. Chael Sonnen is offered to John Jones. And John Jones, his team, Greg Jackson, the Jackson Wink squad, they say, nah, ain't going to do it, my guy. It's eight days for the UFC light heavyweight championship. That's not enough time. We, we decline this fight. And that's where all the fun, especially the fun we're going to be concerned about, begins because the backlash from the UFC was immense. I mean, frankly, something we hadn't seen up to that point. So it was it was a whole host of stuff. But now that you've gotten a, a real background in it, let's talk about the card specifically. Because and 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 even more specifically, I want to go to my buddy AK here because AK is a man who's known to give gymnastic scores for cards. Happens on a lot of our programs. And I think at this point, we should probably, for the listeners who don't know, let's just talk about what UFC 151 was on paper, had everything gone according to plan and how that would have looked like. So a very quick rundown of it is, the main event is John Jones versus Dan Henderson. Um, that's 
that's a fight that may, at the time maybe got a little more mileage for you, but I mean now I don't know where people are looking at it. But your co-main event is Jake Ellenberger, Jay Huron. You've got a featherweight fight between Dennis Seaver and Eddie Yagen. You've got a lightweight bout between Dennis Hallman and Tiago Tavares. Flyweight bout between John Lineker and Yashihiro Ushitani rounds out your main card. Uh, for listeners who have just started MMA fandom within the last 10 years, you maybe know three names of, of the 10 <laughs> I just said. Uh, you maybe know three of them, and you certainly aren't connected to any of them. The prelims... Arguably a little better. You've got Michael Johnson, Danny Castillo, Takei Mizugaki, Jeff Hoogland, Tim Means, Abel Trujillo, Darren Crookshank, Henry Martinez, and then the prelims. Back when the prelims were on Facebook, because that is a thing that happened in this company, in this world. Two Facebook prelims, Shane Roller, Jacob Volkman, Kyle Noak, Charlie Brenneman. AK, you said that this wasn't the best card. Um, it certainly isn't the best card I've ever seen. Uh, even in, in hindsight, I'm not sure if it got worse or better, frankly. But give me a gymnastics score here on, right. on what UFC 151 was had everything gone to plan. Now, let's let's keep in mind here. Uh, I'm going to say a score that might surprise you at first, uh, but it is it is low relative. So the score, I, I put it in the 8.2, 8.4 range as far as how potentially good it could have been. If it had gone down, keep in mind though, the baseline I would say today for UFC pay-per-view today is like nine. It's like, it starts at nine. And then, and then if it's really bad, it goes like maybe slightly below nine. And then the better it is, you can let you go 9.1 to whatever, possibly all the way to 10. If we're talking like a super, super stacked, exciting card. So an 8.2, anywhere in the low eights range for a pay-per-view is pretty bad. It's pretty bad. Now, Jed, I was trying to remember, like, is this just how cards were back then? Were they maybe not as stacked as I remember? And then, to uh, some so extent, I, yes. To some extent, yes. Oh, but then I just oh went, you did the research. Where I mean, did I just, you go? I didn't have too much. I just went to 150 and 152. <laughs> I just went to the pay-per-view before and the pay-per-view that happened after. Uh, so 150, uh, 150 was Benson Henderson, Frankie Edgar, championship fight main event. Cerrone was in the co-main against Melvin Gallard, one of the one of the best knockouts ever. Uh, Jake Shields was, was on that card. Yushin Okami, who uh, would later fight for the middleweight title. Max Holloway was the main card opener. So there you go. So that's just the main card already considerably stronger than than uh 151 and then 152 is the you know what we'll talk about more of that later of course because that's where the jones uh next championship defense kind of went he fought vitor Belfort. uh dj benavidez was in the uh was in the co-main michael bisping was third from the top matt hamill was on there cub swanson and future lightweight champion charles Oliveira. so and even at the time that was a really great fight so no 151 is not representative of the cards at the time it is particularly weak. Um, I don't know if you guys, if there's any car f- fights in particular you want to highlight. I, I'm going to give a quick rundown, but I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on any of the fights in particular. Oh, no. I mean, uh, it's I I looked and I looked into after I was like, well, is this just to, to answer the same question? Is this just how cards were? I don't it's hard to remember. And. Honestly, it's, this is also semi-relevant given um, we've got UFC 279 on the horizon. A lot of similarities if we're being yes. if we're being honest about yep. card quality. You've got a main event that matters and that is drawing the people in. But if something happens to the main event, the whole card collapses. And I thought that maybe uh, after after what happened here, we might have seen, oh, maybe this was the trigger that got most pay-per-views to have two two titles on it because that is usually the standard uh these days is a, a pay-per-view event's gonna have two titles on it but no uh the other ones maybe had deeper or better cards 
you know, but they still had one title fight and the co-main event was something good. But if if it had to step up and serve as a main event would have been a little weaker. Uh, but that's that's sort of where I come down. Sean, do you have any any thoughts on the quality of this card? It's a bad card. I mean, that's all that's ultimately what it came down to. And AK alluded to it when we when we started it, where a lot of the blame, in fact, most of the blame went on John Jones, particularly, and Greg Jackson's particularly, uh, for sort God of not, killer. not accepting this fight on short notice when in fact the reality of the situation, and I actually was looking back at some past articles and I was proud of myself because in the moment I framed it as such. Uh, in my in my morning report that day of the reality is the the U this is on the UFC for building such a lackluster card and just thinking that it was going to be okay and basically building a card where if one bad thing happened your whole entire event is screwed ultimately it's the UFC's fault and I mean you look at the card today I think you're right that there are maybe three names two names that that people would recognize outside of the main event maybe Michael Johnson um, you know. Dude, John Lineker, Michael Johnson. It's it the outside of the main event. It's maybe John Lineker. Maybe people remember Takeo Mizugaki getting steamrolled by Dominic Cruz that one time. Like it just ain't ain't the bodies here if you're not it's, deeply ingrained in the sport. Yeah, it's it's again. It some of these fights actually probably even aged better in retrospect than like they were at the time. Some of them did. So for the, sure. the co-main was supposed to be Ellenberger and Koscheck, which would have had a little more juice as a co-main. Ellenberger, this was after, not right after, but I mean, he had already had kind of that Jake Shields win, so he was kind of still, so he was kind of viewed as top 10 welterweight, of course, Koscheck yeah. was, so this is a, but certainly not a fight that you could push into the main event. You know what I mean? I, yeah, I, I also just, not uh, a particularly also, fun fight, if we're being honest. Jay Haran was not <laughs> viewed as a top 10 middleweight at all, or a middle no, welterweight at all. He was just not. coming no, off of losing he, to Ben Askren he, in, in Bellator, and like he Bellator, had not done yeah. anything in a long was, time. He yeah. he had he was coming in from LF uh, LFA I think he was LFC he, at that point yeah oh yeah oh yeah that's, that's LFC like it's whoo over a man named Romario da Silva um, no clue who that is so big win uh, and then yeah, the, the, it the is rest, uh, the, the Dennis Seaver Yagen fight had a little bit of juice Seaver Seaver was kind of doing good things at the time Yagen had uh, won a split decision over Hominick. Uh, but that fight actually fell through again, and then Yagen actually never fought again after the Hominick fight, which is weird. Uh, Holman versus Tavares never happened. Uh, Lineker versus Urushitani was like a very cool fight. People forget Urushitani was one of the original original flyweight four, right? Benavidez, uh, Ian McCall, DJ, and Urushitani, yeah. right? No, so that, that fight it's kind is, of funny, like what a forgotten good. name he is now, yeah. And then as you guys said, John But also Castillo, at that point... At that point in time, people viewed flyweight. Most most people viewed oh. flyweight as a throwaway. Like they're not. That's the bathroom break fight for I'm a lot amazed. of people, which is silly in retrospect to think of a John yeah. Lineker fight that way. I'm also, was even uh, on the main you card. want to know a fun fact about that? <laughs> that fight is a main card fight for UFC One Fifty One. They rebooked it. It was a Facebook prelim. Yep. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Like that on like a Fox card, I think. I think it was rebooked on a Fox card. It was just like, no, it wasn't even a Fox card. It was a Fuel TV card. It got rebooked as a Facebook prelim for Fuel TV. These uh, people my, did not respect flyweights. Michael Johnson Castillo. Michael Johnson already had that win over Ferguson, which even at the time was pretty good. It's it's aged incredibly well. It wasn't like that big of a deal. Aged at the time. incredibly well, but, but it was still a, good a solid win. win. It was a good win at the time, yeah, because uh, I think Ferguson was like looking like one of the better guys to win uh, the Ultimate Fighter. Mizugaki, as you guys mentioned, very solid, kind of forgotten guy now. Tim Means, uh, Abel Trujillo never happened. The second time it was booked, Means slipped in a sauna 
and it just canceled, and then just that's it. They just they just gave up on it. Uh, Crookshank, Darren Crookshank, Henry Martinez. That kind of would have been a fun one. I think Crookshank's one of the you know kind of overlooked action fighters, highlight real guys. Uh, Roller and I don't Holtman. think Crookshank was. I don't remember Crook. Crookshank had just started his UFC career at that point, though. So he, that was, was not an anticipated bout. I want to say this was his second. Yeah, that fight. was before Crookshank really. We knew uh, him as sir, he was on the guy, Ultimate Fighter. He was on the Ultimate Fighter, which immediately makes him a star. So I don't know I what forgot. you're talking about. I, I did forget. I forgot. Shane Roller was a solid WC guy. Volkman had some heat because he'd already made those bizarre comments about Obama. And uh, Kyle Noak, solid middleweight, future Ultimate Fighter Nations coach. Very good season for anyone who hasn't seen it. Uh, and uh, uh, Charlie Brenneman, the the Joe's the, the pros versus Joe's guy. Remember that? Who could who could actually fight? I do. Remember that? Um, he was ranked that's... top 10 by Sherdog after he beat Vic Story. I remember this distinctly. But before there was a, a widely universally accepted MMA fighting global rankings, uh, I showed yep, Sherdog the, my go-to. The one true rankings. The one true ranking. Uh, Charlie Brennan was a top 10 welterweight. So, very strange card. This so is I why do... we wanted AK. AK <laughs> is bringing the positivity <laughs> on this just... That's, platter of a I just want you to know how I got to a somewhat respectable eight, a score in the low eights range. Cause I do think like it's a, it's for the time it was a decent card, but now this would be like a passable, like fight night lineup, relatively speaking. Yeah. It was, it was not a decent card. At the I time. don't, it was, I not. don't, this was a John Jones and bodies card. Um, and then that's what happened. But let me pose this to you. I know Greg Jackson and John Jones took the brunt of it. I think we all agree that that's garbage. Does Dan Henderson have any amount of culpability here for not telling the UFC when he got injured, not giving them the heads up, hey, I have sustained an injury during training. Uh, it, it was a partial rupture of his MCL. Hey, I'm going to try and work through this, but heads up, it is possible I won't be ready to go and giving them more of should he be the guy who the UFC was mad at? Is I guess the question. I, I mean, I, maybe to some small degree, because ultimately you have to contextualize a lot of this, right? Because you hear the names and you hear sort of the, you know who these people are, but just think about it in the actual moment in time. Dan Henderson was on a, sort of the end of his career, like it was three, four years before he he called it quits with that last Bisbing fight. Like this was sort of his last run in the UFC, his last chance to sort of make do and, and get you know a title opportunity. He he had just beaten Shogun, um, and this was just like this was the moment. If it was going to happen, it was going to happen now. And I understand at that point, old man gets hurt. He's going to try to just work through it. Like he's just going to try to work through it and get to the fight date because with the H-bomb, which was his classic weapon, anything can happen at any moment. And maybe he can pull a rabbit out of his hat, Leon Edwards style. So I understand completely where Dan Henderson was coming from. And, and ultimately, if you want to parcel out blame, maybe he gets some of it, but I wouldn't give him very much. Yeah. Okay, do you, blame, do blame you want to blame old man Hindo? Blame is a little harsh, but he certainly certainly should take some responsibility. I mean, yeah, if he had if he had informed them, you know, at the first sign of trouble, maybe they could have found a more suitable replacement besides Chel Sonnen, or Sonnen could have jumped in earlier, and Jones's team would have been like, oh, okay, two weeks is enough, or three weeks is enough, or however much time, however much advanced time. In, in fact, uh, having spoke with Greg Jackson, they would have agreed to that there we go. because that was enough time to yeah. to be prepared. But but as uh, as Shaheen just said. Uh, Dan Henderson has no reason to do this. He, he, he has, if he doesn't, like, if he thinks there's a chance that his injury will clear up 
and he he has you know and he'll be able to fight he has to take that fight i mean that's just such a huge fight and if we see what happened after i'm just looking at his, his record now after if instead he ended up taking a horrible fight with machida a horrible fight with with rashad evans and then various other uh calamities to to end his ufc run um so he has to look out for himself. The UFC is not doing anything to look out for Dan Henderson. We know this. We know this. Other than apparently, you know, maybe not blaming him, which is fine. Other than that, he has got to preserve his opportunities for as long as he can. And at the time, at that stage of his career, a fight with John Jones was as big as it gets. And like you said, maybe he, win or lose, getting one more UFC title fight, because that would have been the last UFC uh, title opportunity of his Oh no! I'm sorry, I forgot Bisping. The Bisping. No, oh, oh, don't the Bisping don't you dare forget <laughs> Michael Bisping, I'm so, sir. I uh, how can I forget the second Bisping fight? Uh, but the John Jones opportunity has been huge, and uh, and unless the UFC is going to you know is going to take care of him in the future, which you know I don't even know why I suggest a thing like that. Um, he's got he's got to try and uh, try and get that fight, and you know it didn't work out. Obviously, they hit a point where he's like, I definitely won't be able to make it. And that's when they chose to you know give the UFC the info that it, it wasn't going to happen, and that's fine. Again. He should. He does take responsibility, but anyone blaming him for the decision, I think, is I, I don't think it's fair at all. It's so funny. It's so funny the way it all works out, right? Because you just said he had ends up taking a terrible fight with Machida. He and Machida, and we haven't gotten to the Machida aspect of this, but Machida was was tabbed as okay, John. If you're not going to fight Chael at one fifty one, you're fighting Machida in a rematch at one fifty two. And then that fell through by the before the end of the day. Like it didn't even make it all the way through the day at, at like 1 a.m. Eastern time. It was Machida pulled out because he didn't have enough time either. <laughs> so then the UFC was upset at Machida too. And neither Leota, Leoto or Dan fought again for basically like a year. Like they just shelved these dudes of, okay, if you're going to screw with us, we're going to, we're going to pay you back. And then we're going to just put you against each other. And it was the, it was the most typical way of a UFC sort of, reaction blowback just type of handling that situation especially in that present moment of time where they had a little more latitude to just be ridiculous with these guys we're just like hey we're just not going to give you a fight for a long time and when when you finally get one it's going to be against dan henderson who had this whole part in this too uh, oh leota three weeks isn't enough take a year take a year take all the time you need to prepare take a year one and think about what year. you've done <laughs> sit it out uh Sean, that brings us to a great part of this, and I'm especially excited to get your perspective and remembering it, because as you mentioned, the Machida thing fell through at the end of the day. So the timeline here, if I'm correct, and please correct me if I'm wrong, Chael Sonnen is, is the ultimate that, that gets agreed to take the fight uh, and that John Jones rejects. Then it's Machida's. he's going to fight him at UFC 152. Somewhere in here, though... Uh, Vitor Belfort ends up replacing Machida at 152 because of all that. But also in the middle of this mix, Chris Weidman throws his name in the hat as a guy to also, he had some background uh, wrestling in, was it high school with John? Like he beat John Jones at, at, in the state championships in high school. Uh, this was before he was middleweight champion, Chris Weidman. By the way, just, just a guy, a prospect at middleweight. So we've got all these names throwing out. Uh, did it ever seem at, at the time, uh, did any of this feel like, oh, this is a reasonable thing that's happening and not just the UFC throwing names against the wall and seeing what's going to come out in the wash? No, the whole, t the whole day it felt insane. The whole day it just felt like a fever dream because it was it, every hour something else was happening because there was another name that came that, that step, tried to step in that you didn't even mention, which is Anderson Silva. 
he volunteered to fight just a random light heavyweight, which again, I Anderson Silva is one of my favorite fighters of Can all time. Can you imagine if he had and, just volunteered to fight John though? And we that was how we got John versus Anderson. That would have been unbelievable. But just the, the sheer fact that, again, this this man, one of my favorite fighters of all time, one of the greatest who's ever done it, at the peak of his powers, the, basically the GOAT at this point, like he was sort of our Michael Jordan, on this crazy long winning streak, he's just like, screw it, I'll just fight whoever you want me to fight at this next division up. It's not going to be a big deal. Like, that's such a badass ball to move on that guy's part, and he would have absolutely done it. He actually did end up doing it a couple events later against Stefan Bonner. But the whole thing, like, to, just to contextualize why it felt so ridiculous in the moment, because this was Chael Sonnen just coming off of the second fight against Anderson, where Chael Sonnen, for three, four years, his whole career was focused solely on Anderson at, at middleweight. He builds himself up into this massive superstar. It is basically the, the biggest rivalry in the sport. It is, the, the sport is consumed by this rivalry and waiting for this rematch for a long, long time. We finally get it, and it's almost anticlimactic because of the way it ends, right? Chael Sonnen just getting knocked out pretty quickly after that very uh, ill-timed spinning bad back fist. The it was saddest just, ending to a fight of all time. Just... It's, it wasn't great. And so we leave it, that. It's the textbook definition of out with not a bang, but a whimper. Just yeah. textbook. And so we leave that wondering how in the hell is Chael going to spin this at this point? Like, what is the play for Chael Sonnen? And we didn't have to wait long because almost immediately he very smartly throws himself into this rivalry with John Jones that then extends much longer because he gets an ultimate fighter season out of this with John, gets an undeserved title shot against John Jones, and ultimately comes like 20 seconds away from actually winning the lightweight, light heavyweight title because of the way that fight went in John's foot or toe just basically best, ripping off his would body. Have been the best thing that's ever happened. Which would have been the best result in the history of MMA because Chael would have Easy. never let it go. He would still be talking would about never it today. Fought John again. He would still be talking today about the day he beat John Jones, and it would just be the silliest thing that we have ever seen. Uh, but ultimately, yeah, you asked how did this all feel absurd in the moment? It absolutely did because of the steps, the, the timeline of it, right? Where it's Chael. That's a surprise to everybody. He's been seen as a middleweight forever. He definitely doesn't deserve this. But then the also it's like, well, John would destroy Chael. And then the fact that John doesn't accept it just causes more. John just fought Lyoto, so then we do this big conference call with Dana White, uh, essentially telling us all this about it, it, it uh, giving us all this update in the media. And if you listen to that conference call now, it is, it is, an incredible re-listen. It is just one of the most bizarre. Because first of all, the UFC doesn't even do conference calls anymore. That used to just be sort of standard of, hey, we have an event coming up. We're going to get all the media on the phone. Here's the fighters. Here's Dana White. Let's ask some questions. That doesn't even exist anymore. But just if you listen to that conference call, it is 35 minutes of Dana White slowly at the beginning. He's trying to rein himself in, but you can tell he's very, very upset. And by the end, he just doesn't give an F. And he is just going ballistic, going ham on everybody and just ranting and raving and throwing all these guys under the bus. And then like two hours later, Lyoto joins that category by by canceling the fight, too, and dropping out. And suddenly we end up with Vitor. And by the, the whole the whole day, again, just felt like a fever dream. And I remember that day. Writing the morning report, my first two lines were like, what the hell just happened? No, seriously, what the hell just happened? Because it just <laughs> felt like the longest day that we had ever experienced. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch 
against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Uh, let's talk about the Chael Sonnen aspect of this, because I think now, now we're going to actually, we're moving into it. We're getting into the press release, which to me is having not been on the conference call, certainly not the high, high watermark for this event, but the press release, because you know, in a conference call, that's, it's off the cuff. And Dana White is a man who's been known to say things, but a press release is a thing that is, is vetted by, by PR people. And it touches many hands before someone at the company is like, this is a good thing. This is a thing that we can attach our names to publicly. And let's let's release that to all corners of the earth. But the Chael Sonnen thing, I think, is a, is a huge... I mean, it, it is a huge part of this. Because of what you were saying, Sean, he, he, what, he just lost the middleweight belt. And I think this all plays a lot differently if Chael Sonnen is not... If it's not Chael Sonnen, if it is... Okay, he doesn't want to take Lyoto on, even though he's already beaten Lyoto. That's one of the best light heavyweights. It's a very, very different style matchup. Chael Sonnen is... I distinctly remember the fan reaction being, why won't he fight Chael... Like, he will obviously kill, slaughter Chael Sonnen. Chael Sonnen is a middleweight who honestly might not even be that good. <laughs> like, it's this is a ridiculous thing. And that sort of begets the whole press release thing where where it all starts which brings us to my favorite part of today because we could read the whole press release out and you know it wouldn't be the honestly the worst television or worst radio that's ever been done because there are so many great quotes but i thought a, a much more interesting way to go about this is as we mentioned at the top ak doesn't remember the press release no. was intentionally told not to go look at it we're going to play two truths and a lie ak I have pulled some quotes from this press release about the events that have happened here. Uh, and I have mixed with two of those quotes a lie. Uh, uh, either a quote I am totally fabricated 
uh, or or maybe a quote pulled from something else. Uh, it could be anything. And I thought I was only going to have like one or two of these. I, I have four. Four two truths and a lie oh, for us to play. My goodness. A-A-K. So, uh, Sean, I'm going to assume you would know the answers to all of these. But if you don't uh, and want to get involved, feel free. But we're going to start with what I think okay. is the easiest one. I'm going to not two look. Two truths and a lie. We can see each other's faces. So I'm going to not look at Sha- I don't want to see Shaheen's reactions. To- okay, go ahead. Good. That's a good solid thought. Okay. Uh, also, just in case any listener doesn't know what this is, I tell t- I, I give three quotes. Two of them are real. One of them is fake. AK tries to pick out the fake one. First one. That has never happened in the history of the UFC. A guy who is champion, who is supposed to be one of the best in the world, refuses to fight. Quote two. You can't make anybody fight. I think it was 90% mental and maybe 10% physical. I think a lot of fighters have had times where they don't feel right. Three, we spent tons of money on this fight. How long and how far it goes and how bad it hurts, I don't know. It's the first time we've done it. Wow. All right, I think... Do you need I to think, hear any of them again? No, 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 no. I think quote one is definitely true. Uh, or it's definitely from this release. I th- And I thought quote two was easily a lie. Okay, but now the third one seems... I'm going to say two. I, I, I'll say two is the one that is not in this press release. Ding, ding, ding. You okay. nailed it. All right. That all right. is Dana White talking about Amanda Noon's withdrawal from UFC 213. That sounded familiar. Uh, yeah. It's, yeah, I, I thought that that one was going to be the easiest. What was the third quote again? What was the third quote again? Uh, we spent tons of money on this fight, how long <laughs> and how far it goes, uh, and how bad it hurts. I don't know. It's the first time we've ever done it. That's a Dana White quote. Like, again, this is... This is in I mean, a press that's release, from the press release, yeah. This, this is in a press oh, release. This isn't but, but, just but, an interview. But is that the like UFC a UFC con- consciously chose to put that in a press release. But they, they said that Dana White said that? Or this, like, this is sort of like a UFC said? No, this, no, that is, is that is a Dana White quote from the press <laughs> we release. We spent tons of, of money hey, on yeah. this. How long yeah, have we heard this for? We, uh, we don't know. We spent a lot of money. We don't know how long this is. the backlash is going to happen, etc. Okay, All right, I, round yeah. two. Good okay. start, AK. I think it's pretty clear to the fans and everybody else that I'm pretty disgusted with him. Quote two. Let me tell you, this guy is a sport killer. Quote three, as difficult as Tito Ortiz could be, even Tito never bailed on a fight. So my only doubt about two is like whether it was in the release or not. I'm assuming it was. Okay, so I'm down to one or three. Can you read three again, please? As difficult as Tito Ortiz could be, even Tito never bailed on a fight. And what was one? I think it's pretty clear to the fans and everybody else that I'm pretty disgusted with him. Oh, man. Well, Sean, do you know the answer? This is t- he didn't, he, okay, this okay. is tougher than the first one. I think... Oh, yeah, I, this one is this one is much this more difficult. Much tougher. One. I think one is the one not in the release, is the lie. Final answer? That is my final answer. Two for two. That is Ooh. Dana White talking about Nate Marquardt in 2011 what? when Marquardt failed medicals for a UFC on Fox event. Oh. Um, it's why this game got really fun because instead of fabricating uh, totally fictitious quotes, I could just find other times Dana's thrown people under the bus. Wait, did he say he was disgusted? So it all sounds very vibe. I, I, did he say he was disgusted, disgusted with, with Nate Marquardt. What? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember that. <laughs> I very vividly remember that. Oh, my gosh. Are you doing great though, AK? Okay, two, two for, for two. two. Uh, all right, round three. When you were a champion, 
you're supposed to step up. Quote two, it's a major, major deal. We lose a lot of money, money that's already been spent. And quote three, I don't respect him at all. The only time he's a man is when he steps in the cage. Okay, I this sounds easy, but because my first instinct it was so easy, it does worry me. But I will go with my first thought, best thought, Jed, as you know. That's how we like to live our lives. I I believe it would be from number, the hip. Yeah, number three is the lie, not in, not in the press release. Final answer. That is my final answer. You were three for three. That last Ooh. quote is him talking about Randy Couture. <laughs> wow, AK, you're doing great. <laughs> It's uh, once I find like the other the, the other two quotes are so like so crazy like it, it they sound like they could be lies they <laughs> should they, should, they shouldn't be in there they shouldn't be in there again again to be stated this is a thing that the UFC chose to render to the press as a sign of their their thoughts and feelings last round quote one UFC 151 will be remembered as the event John Jones and Greg Jackson murdered. <laughs> Quote two. <laughs> Quote two. I'm not a fan. I think he's bad for the sport. You know all the shit that comes out of his mouth is stupid, and I'm not a fan. And Quote three. It will never happen again. I can guarantee that I'm serious. Oh. Gosh, that, that last one could be from so many other releases and interviews and comments. But again... I mean, it has to be two, right? It has to be two. I feel like that wouldn't apply to this particular situation. So I'm going to go with two. But boy, three sounds... So, you don't like, think he would say that about Greg Jackson? I I don't think so. But I, I can... I honestly am struggling to remember the level of animosity at the time. Because he was once... Oh, it's high. He was... It was, <laughs> it was high. But he was once pretty complimentary, I feel like, of Greg Jackson and his team around the John Jones GSP era. I feel like there was some... Dana White liked Greg Jackson once upon a time. Maybe I'm remembering wrong, but I will go with... with, uh, with what did I say? Three, I think, as the, as the line. What did I say? Good question. <laughs> you, you said two was a lie. Oh, I said two, okay. Uh, it's, two is a lie. Also, three was a lie as well. <laughs> The only one that was true was the UFC 151 will be remembered as the event John Jones and Greg Jackson You just murdered. want to say that it. That is a true statement that was made in a UFC press release. Uh, the it second is... one is about Josh Barnett. The third one is, is uh, I, I included it because you're right, AK, it could re relate to anything, but it was Dennis Hallman. And uh, Dennis Hallman was obviously supposed to be on this card. It was the Speedo incident for Dennis Hallman at UFC 133. Uh but yeah, AK, you did great, though. Thank you. I, I feel like they didn't use language this strong when, like, John Jones had the hit and run. When oh, he, man. You know, it's, like, it's not even close. <laughs> it, so, so Jed actually <laughs> undersold the insanity of it. Because you can't, unless we just straight up read the whole thing, it would be impossible to articulate the insanity of it. Because even the framing of it, I'm looking at it right now. The very first thing you say, or you see, is UFC 151 event canceled. This is like the heading of the press release. Champ John Jones refuses new opponent. Like that alone, right there, you're already throwing him off the bus. ASAP. And then the first line, the first line of the <laughs> effing press release. For the first time in the history of the UFC, a champion has refused to face an alternative challenger after an injury to his original opponent, forcing the organization to cancel a bet. For the first time in history, this guy is a pussy, is basically what you're saying. And it's the it's the wildest just framing ever. And then 
all throughout it. There's just if I'll be 80 years old and I just will still character assassinations up and down. Dude, I will be 80 years old and I will forever remember UFC 151 will be remembered as the event Jen, John Jones and Greg Jackson murdered. <laughs> that is the wildest line to ever it's be put in a, a press line. release from any like major billion dollar company ever. And then and then it's, after all this, after all this, they held an event with John Jones in the main event. Three weeks later. Three weeks later. Three weeks later. Three weeks later. All is forgiven. Well, not all is forgiven, but I mean, all is forgiven enough to you get in there and oh, we'll pay yeah. you and put a show up. build a show around you. Also, again, was... uh, Tito just Tito Ortiz just taking like getting sideswiped in, in here. Strays. As difficult as Tito Ortiz could be, even Tito never Dude. bailed on a fight. Like that is in this press release for no reason. <laughs> AK, it... I. I thought I was going to get you in the second one because there is a quote in here that uh, says, Lorenzo Fertitta and I are disgusted with John Jones oh. and Greg Jackson. They love that We're word. We're just straight up disgusted. Disgusted and disappointed. Also, uh, oh for those who haven't read the press release, you can get out there and find it, but it is uh, maybe my favorite part of it outside of the number one is for sure that they kept the murdered line because... That is such strong language. But I respect whoever said, whoever was working in PR was like, look, if we're going to be a bear, be a grizzly. Let's just do the whole damn thing. And they also get Dan Henderson and Chael Sonnen to trash it. Just be like, Henderson's, Henderson's quote, this is the first time a champion wouldn't step up and fight. I was pretty shocked. It's not like he's injured. It's unbelievable to me that he wouldn't take the, the show must go on attitude. If there was any way I could have gone, any way that I thought I could give myself a chance, I would have done that. Dan Henderson just throwing dirt on John's grave. And then Chael being Chael. I was shocked. I'd already gone to the gym. He had a chance to prove himself a champion, an ultimate fighter, and he didn't take the chance. I just have to throw in one more because th this is just the, again, just the insanity of this. It, this is from Dana White. So many two truths and a lie from this shit. <laughs> this is one more from Dana White. Sure, John Jones is rich. What does he care if he cancels the fight? But 20 other fighters on the card added up to almost half a million dollars in purse money that John Jones and Greg Jackson's decision stole from them. Thief and a what? murderer. <laughs> John Jones I is love, a thief and a murderer. I, I remember, I, I distinctly remember that now and thinking like, that seems a little unfair. That's, I think, as I thought at the time as a fan. I was like, that seems unfair. And of course, then also the 500, the, also the half a million number that's thrown out there, like that, that un, unwittingly kind of revealing at the time how horribly compensated uh, these fighters were back then. And, and again, frankly, as we, we talk about all the time, are still undercompensated today. But half half a million for like 20 fighters? Like, what? That's, that's bad. But the thing is, the thing that you have to remember and contextualize about the moment is because like this is still a very real thing today. Not to the degree it was, but it is still real. Whereas if the UFC says something, a large majority of the, the yep. sport, community, fan base, et cetera, fighters will then take that as law or just verbatim and, and run forward with that being then the prevailing narrative that they will believe, right? That is still present today, but back then, 10 years ago, that was so much more prevalent to where if the UFC said anything, it was just believed. And that was just sort of what everybody was gonna go with. And if you go back and you look at 10 years ago, the reaction articles from this, whether it's like pros reactions, just the, the fighters tweeting about it, or the columns that were being written about it, John Jones and Greg Jackson got 
destroyed. Even the fighters were just turning on them so much. You have so many fighters tagging John's Twitter specifically and being like, how did you take this money away from my family's table? How did you take this food off my kid's plate? All of this, like everybody on that card more or less threw John Jones under the bus via Twitter. I saw two guys, looking back at my research, two guys who actually stood up for John, Benson Henderson and King Mo, both of whom were like, y'all, this is not a real sport. You just got to basically do for, do look out for yourself. Like this is, I don't know how you guys are upset at him, which kudos to you, King Mo and Benson Henderson. You guys were on the right side of history. Everybody else, every other fighter in the sport basically just turned on John in like such I, an outrageous way. I, I just went to the first react on MMAfighting.com, which you put together. <laughs> Uh, and, so, and so many of the tweets are hilarious. If you like, so Je Jeff Hoagland tweeted, uh, wait, I'm not fighting? Please say it ain't so. I got bills to pay. Like, what a terrible look that is for the company. And then uh, a lot of them saying, hey, John Jones, you owe me money. Uh, Charlie Brenneman, me and Rick Story took a fight on 24 hours notice. You know, champ, what's going on? Like, send me a check. It's like, shouldn't you be telling the UFC they can pay you? You know, the UFC, you know, John Jones is the one who writes your checks. Just tell the UFC, hey, I was on way to prepare to fight in however many days, can, can, you know, I should get paid. But, uh, but Shaheen, yeah, you're right. They, they so easily, so easily directed to just redirected the score towards Dude. John and Greg Jackson. Then no, no questions asked. These fighters are all like, yeah, yeah, you see, you're, um, yeah, we're, we're together against John Jones. I can't believe he did this to us, you know? They completely, wholly, and fully escaped culpability within the fighter community for not paying these dudes. Just straight up, just not paying these dudes. Like, hey, sorry, John Jones took your money. You go if you want it, go, 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 take it up with John. And it worked. Andrew Jackson. It I mean, absolutely it worked. Great. It was an unbelievable thing, and that's. I mean, that's why I'm. I want to talk about it because this whole thing is incredible and insane. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., and visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Bay fight here in the US, so make sure you don't miss it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But now let's, I mean, let's just, let's, let's talk about the meat of it. Let's talk about the aftermath. Let's talk about what happened because I mean, that, that is basically the end, right? They, the UFC canceled the card. They threw John as far under the bus as possible. They labeled him and Greg Jackson murderers and thieves and selfish and all these things. And then the show went right on moving because John Jones defended his title against Vitor Belfort three weeks later at UFC 152. Uh, obviously, he went on to win that fight, though there was the funness with the armbar. 
the rest of these fights all got rescheduled for a month or two months later uh, and then happened happened but a few of them didn't and so we're going to close out our discussion by kind of talking about the aftermath and and jumping into some categories here so uh I will just run off a, a brief rundown of, of what happened in some of these fights. Because John Jones and Dan Henderson never ended up fighting. They did end up grappling at Submission Underground in 2016. Unsurprisingly, John Jones won by an arm triangle choke uh, at that fight. Jake Ellenberger went on to face Jay Huron, won a unanimous decision. Uh, Dennis Severetti Yagen, as uh, AK pointed out earlier, never ended up happening. Uh, Yagen got a head injury, never fought in the UFC again. Seaver fought Nam Fan at UFC on Fox 5 a few weeks later. He won that fight. Hallman and Tavares never ended up happening. Hallman blew weight. I think it was his second weight miss in like three fights or two fights. Got cut from the second, UFC. Yeah, second straight. Second straight, yeah. Got cut from the UFC. Tavares. Uh, Tavares goes from fighting Dennis friggin' Hallman to Habib Nurmagomedov. Oh, okay. Uh, tough, tough change of opponent <laughs> for him there. Uh John Lineker, we already mentioned, fought in the Facebook prelims, won't beat Yasuhiro Ushitani a few weeks. Uh, actually, I think that might have been a few months later. Uh, Michael Johnson, Danny Castillo, Johnson ended up winning that fight. Mizugaki beat Jeff Hoogland. Tim Means and Abel Trujillo never ended up fighting either. Means KO'd himself in the sauna, which I think AK mentioned earlier. Uh, and the rest of these all got pushed out a few weeks and ended up happening. And frankly, nothing that interesting or exciting happened. Though Darren Cruikshank did start, as AK was mentioning, he he started building his excite, excitement resume with a head kick KO over Henry Martinez. So, the aftermath. First, I just want to talk about the fights in the card before we start talking about the hypotheticals and how everything broke down. So we're going to go into categories now. We brought a few of them with us from the normal dam. Uh, and the first one's going to be the Mount Rushmore. And it's pick four fights in the card that that you would have liked to see. And this was super easy for me. Uh, I don't know if it was as, as similar for you, but I'm just going to fire mine out, and then you guys can adjust as as you see fit. Give me the main event. I want the John Jones-Dan Henderson fight, obviously, even though I know how that fight would have gone. It's still a very fun fight to do. Give me Tim Means, Abel Trujillo. That fight is just a... That fight, if you did that fight any time within the last 15 years, would have been a banger. It was uh, probably the most fun fight on the card. Michael Johnson, Danny Castillo, similarly a banger of a fight. And then we talked about it. It's the flyweights, baby. Oh, let, let, let John Lineker go to work. Let him punch people in the guts and then go up top with the hooks. Like, that's where I'm at. Do you guys, were those the only, because I'll be honest, those are not, not only were those the Mount Rushmore, frankly, they're the only four fights in the card I really gave any kind of a crap about. No, you nailed it. That was my four. That's a, to a T. I don't even know what else I would really throw in there. Maybe again the the Crookshake Martinez fight, maybe, but nah. You can, you nailed the four. You you could talk me into Seaver Yagen. You could talk me into Seaver Yagen or Noke Brenneman, but it'd be hard to knock off one of the one of the four you mentioned. Though. Noke Brenneman is the only one that I maybe cared about outside of those four, um, just because Kyle Noke and Charlie Brenneman both were pretty competent fighters, but. Yeah, very. Uh, I'm glad we all agreed. Uh, I need a new name for this because I don't think I'm allowed to say the name. It's invented a new category of um, FMK fights that didn't happen because four fights didn't happen on this card. Obviously, Jones Henderson never fought uh, Seaver Yagen, Hallman Tavares, and Means Trujillo. And essentially, we're, let's just go ahead and rank 
those four fights on the, on the terms of which ones, how sad are you about them not happening? Because to me, honestly, I am the saddest that Tim Means, Abel Trujillo didn't happen. Like, I know that John Jones, Dan Henderson is a more relevant fight, but that fight was never going to be fun. Whereas Tim Means, Abel Trujillo was probably going to be really fun. Am I wrong for believing that? No. I, I, no, absolutely. I was, that's a great fight. I would still put Jones Henderson top of the list, though. I, I, I was really oh, excited. Was... Yeah, I was really excited about that fight at the time. And it is a fight I still look back on. It. Not that I think Henderson would have won, but, like, it, he deserved the chance to at least go out there swinging and, and uh, you know, just to see what would happen. And um, it would have been John Jones, of course, would have loved it. Another legend to resume. He had, as uh, Shaheen mentioned earlier, he had just gone on this incredible, ridiculous run where he knocked off legends, UFC Hall of Famers, however you want to, whatever, you know, accolades you want to give him. And um, and Dan Henderson would have would have been a nice nice name to add to that list. So I, I did think it was a cool fight. And, and, and Henderson earned it also uh, for going on merit, base of, uh, of merit. He, he had earned it. He had, has, he had, had fought his way to, uh, to, I think, a fairly legitimate title shot. So I'll still put that at the top. But, I mean, yeah, Trujillo and Means, exciting fight. And then the other two, I mean, put them whatever order you want. Yeah, don't care. Uh, AK, <laughs> uh, this was not a planned game, but because you, your man standing here telling me that Jones Henderson is, it certainly was relevant and probably deserved... I was just never a fight that interested me. Would you care to take a guess what the odds were for that fight? Ooh. I we can I can over under the odds on that fight if if, if you'd like a little more help or if you just want to take a can a I take a stab guess. at it? You go can ahead, Shane. You go first. Shane, you go first. I think John we can was. Price is right. This whoever's closest. John, I'm going to say minus seven hundred favorite. Ak. That's around the range I would have gone to. I was thinking more minus six hundred. I'll go, but now I'm based on Sheen's. I'm gonna go the other way. Now I'm gonna go minus eight fifty Jones. Oh, AK, you were so close to having it. It's minus six fifty. You were talking yourself oh, into going down ah, to six hundred, and so you did it the wrong way. Yeah, Jones is a minus six fifty favorite yeah, at the time. Right. Uh, do you guys have any thoughts on Ellenberger Huron? Because I have the odds for all the main card fights. Actually, not all of them. I don't have. I have exactly zero thoughts on Ellenberger Huron fight, which is exactly <laughs> how many thoughts everybody had at the at the moment in time that this was all happening. No, he had to be at least minus minus, minus four hundred. No, he's only minus three twenty, but he should have been. But I, I think Sean is correct. That's there's zero thoughts on that fight because no one cared at all. Um. But yeah, it's to me, I still think like when I look at this fight card, the only fight I'm like, ah, it would have been cool to watch Tim Means and Abel Trujillo fight. I bet that would have been really fun. But yeah, that's, the, that's the big loss here. Uh, but now the, the real big one, the real big category uh, is the alternate universe. And it's I, I gave you guys carte blanche here to pick any hypothetical because I have one very specific one that I want to talk to you guys with because I have real questions on it. But I'd like to open the floor with with you, Sean. Uh, what what big hypothetical do you have coming surrounding the UFC 151? So I have two. One's maybe a little bit plainer than the other. First, I would say the way that this plays out, it ends up actually messing up several pay per views in a row, right? Because 151, UFC got cancels that, loses like 40 million or something like that. I remember Dave Meltzer at the time estimating that for our website that it was a loss of around 40 million. 
And then 152 changes because then it's Jones Belfort after it was Jones uh, Machida. And so we end up with Jones Belfort and that's TRT Vitor. And it's just a very weird, everything about that whole moment in time is weird. And then 153, because Anderson stepped up and was like, I'll just fight anybody. I'll fight like, give me, give me, give me a body. I'll, I'll, I'll wreck them. They take him up on it and they just give him Stefan Bonner, who at that point was at the last legs of Stefan Bonner's career. And Anderson Silva has basically the last and on the gas. Yeah, and on the gas. And Anderson basically has the last pure Anderson moment that we get from him in the UFC. Uh, and it's sort of the end of his 16, Silva 16 run. And that to me was always just, I, I always loved that anderson Stefan fight where he's like, Anderson's up against the cage and Stefan's just looking like he's totally out of sorts. And he, Anderson's just like, come on, come on, do whatever you want. I'll, I'll sit here and let you kind of do whatever you want. And then finally turns it on for like a half a second and wins the fight. Um, so that... The way all of that plays out, my what my what if in this situation would be because Anderson stepped up pretty immediately to in regards to hey let me fight on this card against a random light heavyweight. But by the time he had done that, the UFC were already like working on other things. If there's just a world where that comes in a, a split second earlier, and Anderson versus John Jones is even a tinkling of a possibility, and I know John wouldn't have wouldn't there's no chance John would have accepted it. But just the idea of that being a thing in our lives for 10 minutes would have been wonderful because that's still like not po- that's not post prime Anderson. That's sort of the tail end of the prime Anderson. That's maybe early John where he, he hasn't really figured himself out fully yet. And so that would have just been a really moment, interesting moment in time to have a fight that we never actually got. Um, and a really I, good one. It would have just been unbelievable. Um, also, second, what if would be really just like, how does this in a broader scheme, broader sense of the word, how does this change the trajectory of John Jones's career? Because I think for him, this was very much a reality check of the UFC is not your friend. None of these people in this industry are your friend. They will turn on you in a half a second and hey, you're the golden goose, you're the golden child, you're the next big thing. F you, no one cares anymore, everyone hates you, all within a span of a day. And I think that's a very bizarre moment of clarity, but also just moment to go through for a 25 year old, 26 year old, whatever he was at that time. And I would have to think that to some degree that influenced at least a little bit, the person who he ultimately became. And I just wonder if he doesn't have this very weird sort of, again, bump in the road moment of clarity moment in his early twenties. How does the rest of his twenties play out? Because very quickly after this, things kind of get derailed pretty, pretty, off 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 the rails right like it's sort of the beginning of the end of john jones pretty soon after this not quite right here but the moment is coming and we can see it coming so that's interesting because you're coming at it from the other end because that is my one big what if out of this uh is and it's obviously the most straightforward right it is just what if john had just said yes because he would have beaten jail he goes on to defeat jail it wouldn't have been jail wasn't going to pull off some miracle upset in that so what if he had said yes? Because that raises the question to me of when things start to go awry for John, when the hit and run happens, does the UFC strip him? Because I remember at the time when the UFC stripped him, there was a big there, there was a big amount of dissension over whether the UFC should because, you know, that's outside the cage stuff. It's obviously a bad look, but he's not guilty and it, it even if they do strip him, he's probably going to come back. And then he ultimately does only come back after nine months or whatever. 
remember there being the conversations in the public of, well, why did this, this, he didn't get stripped for steroids or doing, this was an outside the cage incident. He's still the best fighter in the world. And I have always wondered to what extent, if he was still the golden child, if everything had been perfect with him forever, I have always wondered if that's, if the UFC would have just been like, you know, this is the first bad thing because they have stuck by fighters for similarly bad things. And it, uh, that always felt very quick on the trigger to me in a way that I had always assumed another shoe was going to drop when they announced that, right? Like, oh, they're stripping him. Something else is happening because on a face, this does look bad, but it feels a little quick trigger. And then when it never did, when it was just what it was on the face, then it was like, okay, well, that's a little odd. So am I off? Do you guys, because I actually genuinely think this may well have played a role in their decision to strip him moving forward. Yeah, it's, you can, you can draw a line. I don't know if it's a straight line, but there's definitely a connection and, and sort of touch upon what both of you guys have said. Like this moment is such a, is so integral, I think, to, the way things eventually went down for him, which is not to say, which is not to blame the UFC. I'm not blaming the UFC for John Jones becoming a bad person or Dana White for John Jones becoming a bad person. In all likelihood, he was not the, you know, saintly figure um, that he presented himself as early in his career. I think we know that now. I think, I think there were probably cracks that could have been seen or if they, or, or he was just really good at hiding it, but um, probably not the best guy to begin with. And then as he got more powerful and more influential and more famous and richer, um, you started to see the real man more and more and more. And, and uh, I, I think most people um, by now don't don't really like what they see. Um, but yeah, I don't see how someone couldn't be affected by, as I said, from a fan standpoint, this was an eye-opener. I can't imagine being in John Jones's shoes and suddenly just having almost like your, your whole world turned upside down. Like I'm sure he was aware of the business side of things, but to so publicly be lambasted. This wasn't a behind the scenes like, John, listen, this is how it's going to go down. We're going to give you the slap on the wrist and we're really disappointed in you, you know, that, that you didn't step up to the plate here. This was, we, we don't just want you to know that we're disappointed. We want the world to know that you let us down, you let your fellow fighters down, you let the fans down. So I don't see how that can't change someone inside, can't change their persona, or at least accelerate him down this path of, of uh, you know, of, of bad behavior. Um, so, yes, I, I do believe you, you're saying calling your sitting champion a murderer <laughs> and a thief and uh -huh. selfish is not a good idea. It's a, it's a little Eminem. Uh, I am what you say I am. Right. Like, so, but no, <laughs> also, okay, I, I, I don't... also just like calling him a whip. Oh, yeah. Like there's yeah, a whole overtone of this whole thing of just like, the... Hey, you're clearly not, you know, oh, you're a whip. And, and then all the fighters, as tough as you think. Front forward. Chill Sutton's the middleweight and he yeah. accepted it. He accepted it. You He's a real man. He's a real man. Um, I, I do think... Yeah. I do... Oh, I'm sorry, AK. I didn't mean to cut you off. I was going to say, I, I don't know if that means they wouldn't have stripped the title off him after that hit and run, but I see the... I sort of see the point you're making there, Jen. I, I do think, too, that this... Maybe not in the moment, but pretty soon afterwards became a really clarifying moment for a lot of fighters, managers in the industry of how the UFC will operate in these type of circumstances. And I think this to a certain degree influenced uh, pretty strongly how fighter relations came from coming both towards the UFC and from the UFC worked moving forward and how they may be changed moving forward. Because once we got away from it, once we got 
you know, a little bit of distance from it. And it wasn't this fervor and the fights happen and 152 happens, 153 happens. And at this point, it's just something that happened. People were looking back on it as, hey, th- if this is going to happen to John, if this is going to happen to the guy that they're positioning as the number one guy in the company, it's going to happen to anybody. It's going to happen to you. It's going to happen to you. This can happen to you. And maybe we need to figure out a way to speak to the UFC differently and ha- sort of function within with the UFC differently as managers. And I think just back and forth, even for matchmakers as well. It sort of influenced the the change that we saw and the, the dynamic of this stuff moving forward once we got a little bit of clarity from it. I mean, Sean, I think that's definitely true. So when I talked to Greg Jackson, uh, I mean, he, he has no regrets, which you'll hear at the end of this, obviously, the interview. He has no regrets of how it happened. But I think, especially kind of looking back, uh, everything you said feels very right because... Honestly, I just pulled up the the pros react that AK mentioned earlier, and some of this is astonishing. And I think if you talk to some of the people who tweeted these things now, there's zero chance that they would stand by what they said. Or uh, if something like this happened, you know, not to put this bad juju in the air because heavens knows I don't want to. But if something happens to 279, to Hamzad or Nate Diaz or, or, or whatever, like this could be a, a run back of the situation. And I think if that did happen, there's no chance that anybody is, is reacting the same way. I think this maybe was a, a turning point uh, to, to some extent in, in those relationships and certainly at least a catalyst to how fans maybe started to view the relationship of the UFC to its fighters. Uh, so, you know, but that's all heavy. It's all I very, hope there's a chance. I hope just, there's a chance it happens, Jed. I, I need I need Danielle Wolf going on Twitter, going like, Nate Diaz, you ruined <laughs> Nate Diaz, you ruined my UFC debut. Gosh, like God damn you! Like that's <laughs> I, I was finally gonna make my UFC debut, and Nate Diaz, for whatever reason, you know, couldn't make the main event. That you, the whole event's been canceled. You know, Unbelievable. You no. Know, uh, for you, AK, I will say that I hope that's the case as well. Uh, also, if we lost some fights, there wouldn't hurt. A lot of fights on that card. What fight would become the main event? Would they just make Tony Ferguson, Li Jingliang the main event? If No, they I would think... book something short notice. They would bring okay. someone in short for, notice. For Hamza. For Hamza or for, yeah, or for Hamza. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. I think the idea of having Tony Ferguson on the card oh, is specifically to step maybe. in as a replacement should something right, occur to the main that's event. Right, that's, that, right, that's, that's right. Is, that was my thought when... Yeah. Because it's, I mean, we don't need to go down this rabbit hole, but the okay. Lee Jiangling fight doesn't doesn't matter, doesn't mean <laughs> anything, but Tony as a name can step in. Or, you know, not like Kevin Holland wouldn't say hell yeah immediately to, to doing so. So I think they've got a couple backups there. But this is all very, you know, above the shoulders, mustardy shit. Let's let's have some fun. Let's let's get a little low. My favorite category, I had to bring it uh to to this special event on Dam. It's we're gonna rename it instead of uh, the the previous name. We're just gonna go broad to the never back down category where we're casting. If Amazon Prime, you know, they just cut a deal with one championship, they still want to be in the MMA game. They come to UAK with a hundred million dollars mm-hmm. to make a movie about this. I want to know how you're using that hundred million All to right. cast it. I've got five names that I think mattered to the Same. overall story here. Same. Uh, Jones, Henderson, Dana, Greg Jackson, and Chael. 
Correct. But if you went deeper, I would love for you if you had more people to go. No. But I know you have been chomping at the bit to get to this one. So I want to well, lead with you and your casting choices. Yeah, of course I have the same five names. And I'm glad we actually have five names because normally we are just casting, you know, when we do a damn they were good, we're just casting for the fighter we're talking about. Right? We cast one person. But here we have to paint a picture. We need to. We're going for the SAG award for best ensemble cast now. Like this is legitimate stuff. Absolutely. So for the lead, for Mr. Jonathan Jones himself, the man, the man at the center of this drama, uh, it's hard to find someone, of course, that kind of matches a physical profile of a fighter. But this guy's tall enough, I think. You know, you 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 put on that Hollywood diet, get some of that beach muscle going. Uh, I I I like Lakeith Stanfield, uh, who was Ooh, outstanding okay. in Judas and the Black Messiah. Uh, got himself an Academy Award nomination. He was also in uh, in um, Get Out. He's a fantastic, fantastic young actor. And I could see him if he shaved his head. Uh, I could see him certainly pulling off a John Jonesy look. He's again, he's about six feet tall, I think, too. So you know, use the usual camera tricks, and you can kind of uh, kind of figure out. But yeah, he's got he's got a kind of a nice oh, youthful look. Oh, that's a good still. pick. Yeah, that's a good pick. A nice, okay, I just googled this man. Yeah, absolutely. Nice youthful look. Very versatile actor as well. So he could play, you know, again, that the 25-year-old John Jones, I feel. And if you if there's at some point a flash forward, he can also kind of play. Like if you want to go down the road, we talked about Jed and they make the movie about how this was the instigating incident that turned him into the, the villain John Jones. He could play the more intense version, too. So I would love to see. Uh, can I Stanfield. counter? Yeah, please. Let's go one I by would, one. Yeah, let's go one by one. Not just I would yet. say I have a counter for John Jones here. Uh, and I f- almost thought that it felt bad about it because I mentioned him previously for Daniel Cormier. But I didn't even think he fit Daniel Cormier. I was just trying to find one for for DC. I think he actually fits very, very well for John Jones. Winston Duke, who is Mbaku in Black Panther, because yes. he has that physicality. He's six he does. five, so he's tall and long. Like he's John a little Jones. bit thicker. Yeah, and he's a little bit of a thick boy compared. And to it's John. gonna be hard. Yeah, but it's Hollywood. I, yes, Hollywood. it's gonna be hard though to do that though because I believe he is playing Kimbo in the Kimbo movie. Yeah, but that's fine. I'm just I saying, mean, it's, it'd be hard for to separate that. Like, if that Kimbo movie comes out, then you're like, oh, and then Where's, you see John Jones. What platform is the Kimbo movie coming out on? Uh, if it's not on Amazon, then it doesn't matter. And we also have to make sure I didn't just make this up. That's the other... No, no, that is this distinctly a, a thing, thing that right? was, <laughs> It was... I don't know if it was true, but it was certainly rumored. Um, but it yes, was a that rumor. Is, that is definitely a thing that is happening. But I was trying to find somebody who could... Who who could fit the... Because John Jones is a is a big dude. He's a tall sure. dude, 6'4". And uh, I think Winston Duke is kind of the best physical match that I could come up with. I like, again, the Kimbo thing would make it a little bit distracting for me. But certainly if you want to go for someone closer to the physical profile, yeah. I mean, and and I think Winston Duke's fantastic too. Now for Greg Jackson. Now, Shaheen, Ooh, I think you okay. can read my mind. I think, oh, wait, did you not say Greg Jackson was not one of your names? No, no, no. I've got, but I just okay. naturally went to Dan Henderson as my second person oh, because okay. of the top. But Greg Jackson, I... Jen, I think you and I will be on the same page. And uh, Shane, I think I would give you some context clues. You'll be able to guess what I'm thinking of. Okay. Uh, cer- certainly knows New Mexico very well, based on his most famous role. Uh, balls, oh, well, okay. Think, think, yeah, I got you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Who am I thinking of? He's nailed it. Go ahead. Uh, Brian Cranston. Who am I thinking of? Brian Cranston. He, That's sorry, a great thing. Brian Cranston, I'm sorry. I'm sending you back out to the desert. Uh, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna. I think he just again, uh, superficially. Again, we kind of saw in Breaking Bad that he could kinda, sort of pull, take that look, and also look just a fantastic actor. I think he would really love to dive into that Zen master uh, Greg Jackson role. I think he'd have a lot of fun with it. So he might look like Walter White, but I think he'd be played like totally differently. 
Ooh, Brian Cranston is a really good choice. I don't know. I'm already I mean, in. I'm in on this movie. <laughs> this frankly, is, wait, that, oh, that, is wait, a, that is a wait, tremendous wait, cast already. Wait until like, the end. Wait till I get to the I end. I need to mull this over because I'm not okay. sure. I, I had a different choice for Greg Jackson, who uh -huh. I really liked. The, Brian Cranston is a good one. But I need, I, I, need, I need, I'm sorry, I, I just need a scene of Brian Cranston in the dark reading a phone or a laptop of the press uh -huh. release, hearing about the event that he murdered and just going through, working through the emotions. Just put that on the, put that on the Oscar clip. You know, the 15 second, 10 second Oscar clip. Just put that on the Oscar clip of him reading through. I love just that you getting think fired this is up. an Oscar movie. I love that. Oh, it is. It'll be Amazon Oscar Prime. Oh, this, is, this is art. This is high class art, yeah. my friend. See, I I went John Malkovich for Greg Ooh. Jackson. I oh, I, don't I know. think he I, don't like I think that. he could do. Oh, oh, you're not in on that. I, he's I, a little I, old. I pass on he's that. a little bit older. I think he's also a little Brian bit older. Brian Cranston's too. in his sixties. How old is John Brian Malkovich? Cranston feels youthful. You know? Does he? Yeah, I don't. I think oh, he does. I right. feel okay. like they're, he they're close feels in age. like right. a drug dealer. They, they are. They are close. Someone close in age. I don't mind Malkovich. I don't mind Malkovich, but I I, I want the Malkovich would give then. it some kind of weird accent that didn't yeah, exist. No, like, I'm not here for it. Oh, that's exactly. Oh, because Greg Gonzo. Jackson, as normal as a person as he is, and like he's also kind of a weird guy in some respects. He's certainly very weird in the context of MMA. <laughs> so I feel like bringing some different energy is what I wanted. I don't hate Brian Cranston. I'm not sure. I don't. I'm not sure. I like him better than Malkovich, though. I'll, I'll reserve judgment. I haven't okay. decided, but AK. Who, who so far, I'm more of a fan of AK's movie. I'm going okay. big, big. Okay. Uh, this one, I'm going a little more obscure for Dan H for Hendo. So Hendo is... Um, this was the toughest one for me by far. My next one was... He must only get like two minutes of screen time. Like Hendo is such a small no, no, player. This whole thing. <sighs> yeah. Well, then, no then, you small, know, then my, then my no choice... No small parts. My choice <laughs> might be perfect. Only small My actors. choice might be perfect because I don't think we want... He needs to have too big of a role. Uh... Canadian indigenous actor Adam Beach. Uh, I'm trying to say, you might have to look at him up, but he, you certainly recognize his face. He's done a lot of movies. Um, he's about the right age for it to play, I think, Henderson at that point in his what? career. Oh, this really? is not bad. This yeah. is Dan Henderson. From, uh, SVU. Yes, Dan Henderson. I don't know. I'm not seeing very, this one. He's still a very active actor. Dan Henderson is 1 uh, 116th native, there. He is part native. Uh, mm -hmm. So I kind of wanted to stick to that. I kind of want to play up on that aspect of it. And, and I don't view Dan Henderson as just like a straight up like Caucasian guy. So I want to. I thought like having some native representation in the movie would be would be a fun some some indigenous representation. So I'm going with Adam Beach for what I think is a key. But you guys are right, possibly a a small role, but uh, also also Canadian, like I said. So uh, I'm a little biased here. Uh, I don't hate this. Uh, I do think I. So that's where I struggled. I was because I I don't think of Dan Henderson as like strictly like a Caucasian dude, and I was trying to find something there and. Honestly, I didn't settle on anything I enjoyed, but the best thing I could come up with was just to sim to sort of match the features was Billy Zane. Oh, the Zane pulling the Zane card. Okay, I'm not I'm not sold on it. That's why this was it's the one I one. felt by far the least confident. It was way way more difficult for me to find somebody uh, that could do it. But I think Billy Zane's a great actor. I like so I love I love Billy can throw we him in there. I'm okay with that proposal. Can we mm -hmm. just get Hollywood Hendo in here, CGI down him a bit, and just have oh, no. him play himself for like three lines? I, I mean, you certainly could. I, I am strongly I against mean, you're, de you're messing with our Oscar potential. <laughs> that's not three true. Lines. Three, asking, three lines. Did you're it? asking Dan Henderson to ask. Act. I don't know if that's going to work for our Oscars. Hendo, just be yourself. 
It's his uh, big break. He's been waiting for. Come on. He needs I mean, something. you may as well just use archival footage at that point and force gump the situation, right? Just put just put him in there somehow, or you know. Uh, I had trouble with Chel Sonnen. I don't know why, because it's such a juicy part. I think it's a part like a great actor could have a lot of fun with. But I had trouble both with like superficially finding some kind of match for him, and also someone who's gonna like not make him a cartoon. Because Sonnen's like you know the way he talks is pretty. Oh, it's pretty I think distinct. I think it's okay to make him a cartoon. Oh, because no, no, there, no, no. There was like a level of self seriousness that you almost need to have. Of like you don't you want might, him to you go. all might be taking this as a joke, but I'm taking this to, with a level of seriousness. Like I feel like I, that's important. I, I don't want someone to go Jared Leto in House of Gucci, if you guys saw that. Like, a, certainly an enjoyable performance, but just completely You should just never strange. go Jared Leto in anything. In just, general. Um, just, so just I settled not, on, I needed someone with nice eyes. I was like, I actually started Googling, like, actors with nice eyes. She also has very, very, very lovely eyes. And also, like, a decent jaw. I love, decent jaw line. I love that this is how you got to work. Yeah. So I kind of ended up with Jason Clark. Uh, Jason Clark, Australian actor. He just played um, Jerry West in The Winning Time, a very cartoonish, oh, okay. probably completely inaccurate oh, version that's... of Jerry West in The Winning Time uh, miniseries. That's not, a, that's not a bad choice. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that's not and, bad. And, and the fact that he was able, that he doesn't sound like that in real life at all. So the fact that he's an Australian guy. So the fact that he was able to kind of transform himself into this guy from th this American guy with a very specific regional accent was pretty cool. So I, thought, I think he, he would have fun picking up Chael's kind of high-pitched you know, unique way of speaking. So I went with some superficial resemblance and also acting ability. Ooh, that's not bad. I uh, I also uh, went went to that side of the world, New Zealand. Mm -hmm. uh, Anthony Starr, who most known as oh. Homelander uh, in The Boys. Yeah, I think right. that's that's going to be the world that I think most people will know him from. But wow. oh, I, I went see. In it. a similar in a similar vein of trying to get some match to the physical features. Um, and I don't know. I, I'm not opposed to yours at all, but yeah. uh, just, I also think Jason Clark's a really good actor. Well, I'm, I'm seeing some um, pictures of Anthony Starr with his actual hair. As, as he's a brunette, I guess. He's actually a brunette. Mm -hmm. And like I, I definitely see it. Uh, clearly, he's in shape. He's in shape for the role. Um, you say he's from New Zealand? It would, it would just yeah, be so Zealand. hard for me to not see him as Homelander <laughs> see at Homelander. this point. It's I tough. hate Homelander so much. It would be so hard for me not to see it. But I think that's perfect uh, for Chael, though. I think Chael is like a, such a classic anti-hero, right? Like, you, I don't think he's you'd want to be like. But Chael was like it, lovable yeah. too. Like he was, like people liked. Chael, you don't so love Homelander. Yeah, like that's a, that's a that's a hard bridge to cross. But maybe he would, maybe he could kill it. I mean, he's clearly a very good actor. May I submit I one name, please, to the Chael Sonnen uh, registry that we're doing here. Please this is completely off the board. Terrible. Doesn't look like him at all. But I would just like to see what happens if you give this lunatic six months of watching Chael Sonnen footage, whatever he brings to it at that point. Give me Daniel Day-Lewis just like studying the hell out of Chael Sonnen <laughs> and just going so hard into the role of just you, whatever that is. Shaheen, you bastard. That is my pick for my final no. role. No, you I didn't. want Daniel Day-Lewis no. as Dana White. I want him to change his shave his head, change his body type. He's coming out of retirement. We are bringing him out of retirement. I love the pick for Chill Sonnen too, but I am bringing him out of retirement for the role of a lifetime. Dana White. You, I can't believe you took that off the top of my that's head right, right. there. Uh, I'm sorry to steal that from you. We, that's we, fine. we each coming from the same place. Of, I, I just, just love want that we this very classically trained, yeah, incredible to professional to, who just goes crazy in his own mind over these roles to just yep. study these 
insane people in our sport he, for like six months to and be, see whatever he came from. Gets he from has it. to be involved in this film. He ha- this Like we said, this is our Oscar push. And nothing says Oscar more <laughs> than having Daniel Day freaking Lewis in your picture. <laughs> so whether it's his Chael Sona or Dana White, man, you know he could play either and he would knock it out of the freaking park. So a ima- And I just love the idea of Daniel Day Lewis comes out of retirement for UFC you know, biopic <laughs> film. UFC I need that headline. I hate. I that, need that headline. Seems I don't want Dana White to. Dana White doesn't deserve Daniel Day Lewis. <laughs> like that's he's a complicated not, character. It's. I hate that you somehow did that, Sean. I'm much more. I'd totally be okay with DDL doing jail, dude. That's uh, such a different dude. type of character than he's ever done to. Like I'm so, so weird. I'm so here for whatever the weirdness of that would be. It would be, I mean, is it that different? I mean, it's it's a little plain viewy. Chael Sonnen's got a lot of a, pl- a lot of a lot of plain view in him. I feel like plain view had like this very like immediate overtone of menace that Chael doesn't bring to it, right? Like Chael's yeah, bringing I mean, coming with levity. Same, Chael's coming with jokes. Like plain view was more like I'm I'm pretty scared of this guy pretty quickly. Oh man! So I took the low hanging fruit for Dana White because I it. Michael Chiklis is just the right, like, that's just oh, the yeah. obvious okay. answer. Like, that's, yeah. Michael yeah. Chiklis is the uh, guy to play Dana White in a movie, so. God, even that the was, voice. That rounded even, out my group. I can hear him doing his, like, the voice so easily. My oh, other yeah, pick was, the thing. my other pick was our own Mike Heck, uh, making his acting debut oh. as uh, Dana White. <laughs> well, yeah, but, your uh, best friend. Plus, I think we spent a lot of money you on some of the roles. your best friend to get so, his big yeah, break. Of course, yeah. It's about time. <laughs> uh, well, look, uh, I will say that I think, on the whole, your your list is probably a little better than mine, AK, but I can't in good conscience allow DDL to play Dana White. That's Come just, on. It's it's just the worst thing I've ever heard. Dana White <laughs> does not deserve does not deserve the greatness of Daniel Day to to play him. But if you love the sound of that, uh somebody reach out to Amazon Prime for us, give us a hundred million dollars, and we'll start making phone calls mm-hmm. to make this script happen, everybody. <laughs> Mike Heck is you available. Imagine Dreamcast of Brian Cranston, Daniel Day Lewis, and anybody oh. else we're talking about just for Bring UFC one fifty one. The movie. God, if I had all the money of the Live Golf Tour, this is the sort of frivolous pursuits I would be spending it on right now. <laughs> and you know, and you'd get it all back tenfold. Oh yeah, and and the Oscars and the you know the awards for it. So uh all right, we have been talking about UFC 151 for quite some time. Honestly, longer than I thought we were going to end up speaking about this event. It's time to shut it down. It's time to put a bow on all of this because we've, we've accomplished most of what we're looking for. So uh, I guess we will we'll end here with my kind of big question. Uh, does this happen today? Like if this happens, we've been dancing around it with 279. If something does happen and the main event falls apart at 279, and the co-main event falls apart. You know, say Tony Ferguson isn't out there. Does the UFC cancel the card? If so, do they put the blame on the fighters? Is there the same backlash? Or have, in the past 10 years, have we evolved as society, as a fan group, to recognize this as, as the unfortunate circumstance that it was and not anybody's fault? I think that we certainly have as evolved as a fan group we've evolved as a sport but also just the the intricate details of the broadcast rights and all of this has evolved too to the level where you look back 10 years ago 
the UFC needed these pay-per-views to be successful, right? Like it was very important to them that each pay-per-view hit a certain benchmark and that basically that was going to be a lot of their income throughout the year. Whereas now that's super not the case. They could, they couldn't care less on a lot of these pay-per-views, how well they do. If they do great, Hey, that's great. If they don't do great, we're getting our money from ESPN and Disney one way or another. And I think that the evolution of that deal and how that broadcast deal has sort of played out has completely changed a lot of things within the UFC and how, how they operate in terms of benchmarks and what their sort of overall goal is. I think now if this happens, they would f- plug in holes to a certain degree and just be fine having a bad pay-per-view. But if it was some sort of disastrous situation where you're losing main, co-main, basically any possible whatever... I think they would just cancel it and we would all move on within a day or two. And it would just be, hey, sunk cost, whatever. We're still having the best year in UFC history. We'll be okay. And I don't I don't, I don't, don't know that we... I mean, I do know. I, I, it probably wouldn't be all blamed on the fighters either. It would just be like, hey, this happens. It's unfortunate. We're, we're moving on. Because I just don't think do, a, a loss like that, a loss of $40 million would hit their, their company mark that much at this point. Do, do you think the there's line. any chance... Do you think there's any chance that they just go like... They lose those top two fights. Guess what? UFC 279 is now free with a subscription to ESPN Plus. Like it's like we're still kind of they they sell it as like we're now giving you a free pay per view out of the out of the kindness of our hearts. We are uh, we are now making we are still keeping it UFC 279. The event is not being canceled. We're not renaming it. It's 279. But now for all you ESPN Plus you loyal ESPN Plus subscribers and uh, all you folks on the fence about purchasing a ESPN Plus subscription, you get UFC 279 free with a new subscription. Like I could, yeah. cause that could that happen? And then you have Rodriguez, D Rod, and Kevin Holland in the main event or something. I think that Honestly, absolutely I, could be one of the ways yeah. they could spin it. Like they they just have so many so much flexibility at this point with the way that the the deals have set up that they could absolutely spin that as just a PR win of hey you guys want something free here you go we made the best out of the situation. We're so generous. Look how I mean, generous we are. I can honestly free see them just still charging. Just be like, yeah, it's still seventy five. Tune in. You're not a real fan if you don't. Watch. Oh, that, oh, the aggressive, go ahead, the attack yeah. method. If if you don't want to watch it, you don't have to. But you know, sometimes the bad cards on paper turn out to be excellent. So pay seventy five dollars and roll the dice. No, they don't say sometimes. That Jed, seems they say entirely always. possible. Jed, they say always. They don't well, say sometimes. They say is, they always. The cards you don't talk about always turn out to be good. I mean, you know, that's true. Also, before we wrap up, I just want to bring this up because I thought of it and it hasn't really come up yet. Obviously, the way they reacted was incredibly unprofessional and wrong and just like bad from an optic standpoint in just about every possible way. But the the alternative PR response here, and maybe it's, I don't, I don't know how you couch it, I guess, but it's, they're the only company in maybe the history of the sport that could have survived this. And they didn't, that was not like the thing that they said. It was like, hey, this screws over these fighters and John Jones is a terrible person and we're losing $40 million. $40 million loss would bankrupts any other company that and the UFC for much of its existence would have been like, hey, if this if this card falls apart, we will just collapse. I mean, look what happened to Elite XC, just bankrupted overnight basically. Affliction. This is the only Same thing. or a, yeah, like it's it just is how it is where at least with those other companies, there was a sense of well, if if you choose not to do this, we are screwed collectively. With the UFC, they were insulated to a point where, yeah, I'm sure that that made it less good of a quarter for them than it would have otherwise. But 
it did not halt their $4 billion trajectory that they're going to come to in a couple of years. I think that is a different way they could have approached this from a more reasonable PR stance of, hey, we're going to still pay these fighters. This happens. But fortunately, we are such a strong product that we can survive this and keep moving on. So just something I kind of wanted to throw out because it feels relevant to at least mention. But, you know, hell if I know. And that's it, ladies and gentlemen. There's there's not really much more to say. UFC 151 was one of the weirdest things that's ever happened. Uh, And the fact that it was so relevant for such a period of time and now seems quaint in a lot of ways how absurd it all was uh is remains really interesting to me and as we've hit the 10-year mark i definitely wanted to commemorate it so sean ak thanks for coming on i appreciate your your brilliance as always and we will be back in two weeks for another episode of damn they were good until then stay tuned to listen to my brief interview with greg jackson and i love you guys Hey, also, as mentioned before, here is my interview with Greg Jackson. Just a a quick couple of notes on it beforehand. I spoke with Greg in anticipation of this podcast uh, and and some other stuff I'm doing with regards to UFC 151. Got his perspective on on what went down, how he recalls it all, the aftermath, everything like that. So it it was a fantastic interview. Greg is a great guy to talk to. But uh, because it was not conducted in the usual studio, et cetera, for me, the audio quality is going to be a little bit lower. I just wanted to give you guys a heads up uh, for that. But you can still hear everything Greg says, and I think it's a really illuminating interview. So with that being said, uh, enjoy. Next week is 10 years since UFC 151, or or what would have been. And so I'm trying to put something together for MMAfighting.com. I want to start with, the the icebreaker question I have, which is, uh, how does it feel to have killed MMA? Well, you know, I tried my best to kill the sport, but despite my best efforts, somehow it's still alive and kicking. So I'll wait for my next opportunity to destroy an entire sport by not taking a fight. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, it's, it's really it's a tough. And that's, it's a talent. Uh, I'm, ta- I'm, a, I'm a talented guy. Hey, uh, you you did your best, and that's kind of like why I wanted to do something about 151 is because obviously 10 years long time, we got a lot of new fans in the sport who aren't going to remember that this happened or was such a big deal um, yeah. because it's kind of insane to look back on it now and sort of, sort of see how it all went. Um, yeah, yeah, a little, little overreactions from people maybe, maybe? Just a little bit. Uh, Jesus and so, Christ. I uh, just to clarify because this is a while ago, uh, but just just to get it out there, was it was it you who specifically told John that he shouldn't take the fight, or was this sort of a consensus thing amongst the team? Hey, it's eight days. This is a very dumb idea. We shouldn't do this. I think it was consensus, but I'll I'll take the responsibility for telling John for sure. I was the guy that was like mm, a new opponent, different style, and yeah, brand new. Yeah, no. And then just like some random, oh, well, now this is the number one contender, even though I don't think he really was the number one. You know what I mean? Like, it, it didn't seem right. I don't know, it was just like, oh, is this a sport or is this just like, well, let's fight anybody for the title? I mean, so that was actually going to be one of my other questions because obviously Charles Sonnen was not the number one contender. He, no, he just no. lost to Anderson Silva. He wasn't even in the conversation. And how much 
if any, did that play into into the decision, or was it strictly just a, hey man, this is eight days. This is absolutely ridiculous for us to take a new opponent for the light heavyweight belt on eight days' notice. It was more that on eight days, but also the style. Like if it was very close, because um, uh, we were supposed to fight Henderson, and Henderson's mm-hmm. got wrestling, but he also has giant right hands, and his wrestling style is different. And yeah, so uh, it was it was. From Dana's point of view, it was, oh, well, John will just steamroll Chael, and then, you know, everybody's happy. But yeah, I've, been, I've, I've been in so many corners that, like, I've seen that go bad, and I don't underestimate Chael Sonnen at all, zero. Like, that guy can show up as a world beater, like, really. And, yeah, so uh, preparation, right? Like, the, 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 the 205-pound championship of the world. Like, if you're, uh, like, you know, if you're a – a 5-0 and o guy in your first fight in the UFC or whatever, you're trying to get a fight, yeah, it can be last-minute stuff, you know, whatever. You can weigh that out. But for the championship, I don't know. It just didn't seem – I wanted to be prepared and I wanted to win. And neither of those options were as, as um, easy. I mean – And I'm not saying that John wouldn't have steamrolled in, but I, I like to win. I like to get in there and be prepared. And so it was – really, that's what it was. It was eight days. For title, lack of preparation for a completely like somebody we've never even game planned against. And to to your earlier point about not uh, underestimating Chael Sonnen, obviously you guys did go fight him, you beat him, uh, but then after that he submitted Shogun, and like Shogun was still Shogun, yeah. so it's like he's yes. Yes. he's he's not some pushover just showing up. No, exactly, and I have all the respect in the world for that guy. I really do. I like him a lot, um, and I respect his fighting style. And it was almost like I respected him that much where I wouldn't be like, no, we're not going to just jump in. You know what I mean? Like, I have more respect for that guy than that. Yeah. Uh, and so kind of also on this sort of thing here, uh, did you end up fighting later that month, right, at, at 152? Uh, yes. So that's a totally different opponent again. We're talking Vitor Belfort. Was this – how much of that was just the additional weeks you felt confident enough to, with the game plan versus, you know, did did you feel pigeonholed or backed backed into taking a fight given the sort of backlash that came from, from turning down the, the Sun and fight? No, no. Nobody's ever going to pigeonhole me into anything, nor would I feel any pressure about anybody else's opinion to do what I think is right. So that's, none of that none of that will ever be a factor for me. Um, so, no, m- mostly we just had time to put together a plan, train it, say, okay, this is going to work, and then do it. Um, so I, I didn't feel obligated or anything. But you, eight days isn't even – like, that's fight week, basically, right? Like, that's basically yeah. – you, you have zero time to do anything. Basically, you're just showing up and then fighting. Um, if they gave us three weeks, that would have been something. We could have said, okay, let's break him down. Let's look for all this stuff. That I, would have been reasonable to me. But one week just wasn't reasonable to me. Yeah, especially while you're in the middle of weight cut. So that's it really. Yeah, really, like really we could work on nothing. Yeah, we're like, and John's a fighter that does best when, you have to know your fighter. John's a fighter where he does best when. He's very prepared. He's watched hours of video on you. He can relax. He can. That's what makes John John. If you put him, I mean, not that he can't adapt and overcome. He certainly he can. But I want to put us to the best odds possible for us to win. Um, and him being relaxed enough to be creative enough comes from him understanding what your what his opponent's doing, what he's going to do, et cetera, et cetera. 
Yeah. Uh, can you also just sort of talk me through if you remember what was the vibes like? Like when you when you told them, or or uh, I don't know who would have communicated to the UFC that you're not going to take this fight. Obviously, their public reaction was overreaction is probably an understatement. But like, what what did they well, say? The public reaction is the public reaction is dictated by Dana and Joe. So if Dana and Joe come out and go, uh, you know, X, Y, and Z, uh, you know, it's not a big deal. We'll get a next, we'll have the next fight for you guys, yada, yada, yada. Then, uh, you know, people would be sad and disappointed, but there wouldn't have been uh, that kind of reaction. Well, I guess Joe didn't have much to do with this one. Dana, Dana just did what Dana does sometimes, which is go hard in the paint. <laughs> he really did. Uh, yeah. Did, and that's where the you... public reaction came from. Yeah. Did you guys, did, I mean, I know you can't speak for John, but did you feel that kind of moving forward for a while? I mean, you guys fought with the UFC three weeks later. Yeah. We were always going back and forth. I, they came out with a statement, came out with a statement. I forget if it was before or after that, where I think it was before that, where all my fighters were boring. And then I came out with the list of the that year that we'd had like 80% yeah. of the fight of the night bonuses. You remember <laughs> all that? So to me, it was, if somebody's always screaming at you, it doesn't have any power. You know what I mean? You're like, oh, that's just what the guy does. He's just he's always upset, throwing temper tantrums. If he was the sweetest, nicest guy, and then all of a sudden he had done that, I would have been like, what the hell? Like that's a little weird. But it was far <laughs> for the course. I mean, you get, like I, I wasn't. It didn't bother me that much. I wasn't affected by it. It's a sport. It's um, yeah. It, uh, it just didn't. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, I, I did what I thought was right. I would do it again, and, uh, uh, like, that's all I can do. So at the end of the day, if you don't agree with me, okay, like, I'm sorry you don't agree with me. You have your opinion. I have my opinion, and that's what I do. <laughs> um, so, I mean, just just to, clear, just to make absolutely certain, it sounds like there's zero regret for, from your side on, no, on what zero. happened. No, zero, absolutely. Yeah, okay. I'm, I, always, gonna, I'm always going to... No, and right. Well, and I'm always going to do what's best for my guy, right? Not what's best for the promoter. So, like, yeah. it sucks that we did that, but yet you're putting us in a position that we didn't have. We were prepared to fight the person you wanted us to fight and do that stuff. Um, yeah, like, I, I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure why they got so mad. I still don't know. Like, I get it's a control thing. Like, you know, if I say you do this, you fucking do this. Like, I get the whole bully aspect of it but if you're a promoter you're not a bully so uh no that's not going to work um but with it in this situation i just think he was off the mark a little bit oh i think for sure uh just a couple more things here did you ever uh personally feel any backlash from the fans kind of maybe immediately i'm, I'm sure there was some but did did that sort of linger at all there's always some backlash for the fans just uh the more successful you are the backlash you'll get so yeah i for a while everybody was yelling sport killer and stuff for a while but again i just found the whole thing funny like what the hell are you talking about like it was really absolutely ridiculous to be at the time like i not taking one fight is not going to kill the sport even if they canceled one card like what are you talking yeah. about like yeah but like to try to make an example of me to try to make a scapegoat of me um it didn't work i'm still around uh dumber than ever but still around um <laughs> But yeah, it was it was just a, it was a bizarre, not unexpected, but still like surreal. Like what the hell? Yeah, very bizarre. Also, just on a personal note, if we were friends, 
uh, I would basically exclusively call you Sport Killer from. So is that, <laughs> is that, that a thing? Yeah, I mean, for a while there, I wanted to make T-shirts. Like, I wanted to embrace the whole thing because I thought it was so silly. Yeah. Um, so just to, like, make fun of, like, the ridiculousness of it to be had value, but we never did. Yeah, I mean, that's that's fair. Uh, but I'll tell you what, that one, it, of the two major kind of kerfuffles that we've had with the UFC, um, one was that my fighters were boring, and then two was that uh, – the fighters were boring had a lot more like negative, long-term negative implications than that, than the sport killer did. Really? Oh yeah. yeah. That, that is a little surprising because your fighters well, obviously aren't boring. Right. Right. No, well, exactly. But again, obviously I didn't kill a sport either. Right. Like the whole, all well, of them was absurd. You so, say that, but then they sold the UFC for $4 billion. So, I know, I they know. really didn't make any money off. I know, yeah. You, like, but you let really history them, be the right? judge. Uh, but it, well, I, think that, I, think, I think that that was a message to people. Dana was doing it as a message to try to make an example of me. Yeah. Like, if you don't play ball, then I'm going to try to destroy your reputation. So, I, I, like, looking at it from a strategical point of view, it makes sense in a, in a weird way, but not really. Like a not well thought through strategy, yeah. I guess maybe. Yeah, no, I think anyway. that's, that's sort of. Uh, I, I would qualify that as a lot of how the UFC does business, frankly, but that's just me. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right about that. Yep. Um, no, this is a uh, this has been perfect, Greg. Like this is sort of exactly kind of what I'm looking to do here. So uh, I I know that you are busy, you know, still trying to kill sports and stuff, but. Uh, that's an everyday thing, Jed. Every day, I wake up. I'm like, God damn it, this thing's still around. Well, uh, I think it makes me much uh, still on the planet. I I hope you succeed one day. Um, so just what, keep plugging away. Okay. I will. Um, I will. I'll uh, I'll find a new avenue to destroy an entire sport. I'll find it. <laughs> well, good luck with that. Uh, and thanks, thanks for talking. I really appreciate it. Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., and visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it.